Well, we're going to close off our series on prayer, and I want to kind of go at it in a little different way. Okay, so roll with me here, okay? I want to step into something. It's a little bit, um, it's a little sensitive, okay? So I'm going to ask you to reflect for a moment. I'm actually to look back for a moment. Um, maybe some times that aren't, uh, you wouldn't say this is delightful for you to think about. I'm not trying to open up any old wounds, but I, I do want to address something that I'm sure that you've experienced in your life. And I, so I want to ask you if you could look back on moments of suffering, moments of uh, where you would say that you were in sorrow, that you were, you were experiencing loss, or you'd even use the word like you were in misery. Uh, think back to those moments. And I want you to think, who are the people that ministered to you well in those moments? Okay, and then I want you to think of this too. Were you disappointed at how anybody spoke to you in those moments? Now, I know I'm not trying to bring up like old hurt. I'm not. But I want to really talk about that of when we are disappointed with how people care for us. So let me just, I'll be up front. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. Um, I know that when I've shared hurt, pain, sorrow, um, misery even with somebody, and I, I'm unpacking my story, right? I've taken that step of vulnerability. Okay, I'm out there, and, and here's what I'm going through. And if somebody almost immediately says, well, look at the good that's come out of that. And, and look at the good that will come out of that. Now, you could already tell the way I'm like acting, right? That I don't find that very favorable, right? Where I didn't feel really cared in that moment. And, and, and hear me out. I think it's good for us to reflect on the good that can come out of bad. Absolutely. I think that's very comforting. I think it's good for us to say, okay, you know, I don't know what God is doing in this moment, but I do believe God is moving. God has a plan for this pain. He's going to do something. I think those are great things at the right time. Right? Because when you're really sharing your heart, hey, this is my hurt. This is my pain. Here's my emotion. Here's my feeling. Man, I'm just, I'm having a hard time right now. And if somebody just automatically moves you into the future and says, look at the good that could happen. It's like spiritual whiplash. Right? It's a hard turn. And it's not that, it's not that I disagree with what they said. It's that I'm disappointed with what they didn't hear. That they, didn't, they didn't hear my hurt. They didn't listen to my sorrow. And in those moments, I've felt unseen, unnoticed, and not cared for. And I want to ask you if you've ever felt like that before. Where in your, in your pain, and maybe it's a current season right now. If it is, I do apologize for that. That, that, that walking through that is difficult. But in those moments, have you ever just felt alone because people just kind of pass over your pain and don't really listen and kind of sit with you in the sorrow. Now let's flip that. Maybe a harder question is, have you ever been disappointed with yourself and how you've tried to help somebody through a painful situation? Right, maybe you've got a friend that experienced a loss. Maybe they, they lost a child, a significant grief. And you, and you love them and you care about them and you're like, okay, I want to be there for them, but I don't know how to be there for them. Like, what do you say in that moment? What do you do in that moment? What words could possibly provide any sort of healing? And so it, it, feeling that, that expectation, feeling that weight, you, you just, maybe you just say, yeah, I'm just going to give them space. And so you retreat. I'm sure you know that that's probably hurt them, actually, is that avoidance. 
Or maybe you don't avoid, you do step in, you are there, but you never ask any questions. You don't really touch that grief. You kind of wait for them to, to share. And I'm sure you've seen that hurt the relationship too. So we find ourselves in this like really hard dilemma. It's like, I could say the wrong things and hurt the person. I can say nothing and hurt the person. So wrong words, no words. Ah, like, what do I do? How can I help people who are hurting? How can I help people who are in sorrow? How can I help people who are in misery? Well, we're going to learn, I think, a very key principle of comfort from the last prayer of Jesus before he was betrayed. And it may seem like an odd place to learn this principle because when we encounter this prayer of Jesus, and if you're familiar with it, it's the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's betrayed by one of his followers, Judas. And, 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 and looking at these prayers, and I've looked at them before several times, but it's not until this week I realized there was something deeper happening or something else also happening. We're going to focus on the prayers of Jesus, and those are going to be helpful. But Jesus actually gives more words to his followers than he does to his father at this time. And I think there's a very important principle to learn from the words he gives to his followers on how we can help people through times of pain. So let me give you the big idea for this morning. So you write down one thing. I want you to write this down. The big idea, the main idea of our passage as we go through it is this. Misery loves company before comfort and correction. Misery loves company before comfort and correction. Now, just a little side note here. If you've been coming to Sunrise for a while, you realize we have these big ideas like every Sunday. Okay, why do we do this? Here's why we do this. It's because I want the principle to stick with you for at least a week. And so, yes, you could probably already tell, Pastor Paul, you always either make it like a rhyme or some kind of imagery or a known phrase or alliteration. Totally, you got me. I do do that. Why? Because I want it to be memorable. Because if I think if it's memorable, at least for a week, it'll be actionable in your life. I don't want you to forget what we've covered in the scriptures. And so maybe you know that phrase, misery loves company. Well, I'm going to give it a turn. I hope today that you never hear that phrase ever again the same way. I hope you hear it with what we're trying to convey through Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, let's just look at these words here because the words are important and the order is important. Misery loves company before comfort and correction. Now, the Bible does instruct us when people are in pain, people are in sorrow, people are in misery, people are hurting, we should provide comfort. Absolutely, we should encourage people. God loves you, God cares about you, he's affectionate towards you. Absolutely, we need to give words of comfort. I don't like the word correction, but honestly, I needed another C to make it memorable, okay? So it's not my favorite word, but I'm trying to get it to stick in your head, okay? Don't go to somebody, let me correct you in your grief. Don't do that, okay? Don't hear that from Pastor Paul. I'm not saying that. I just needed another C. But here's what I mean by that. The scriptures do instruct us when we're helping people that are hurting, that we need to guide them away from harmful practices, guide them away from harmful behavior, guide them away from harmful thoughts that would actually hurt the grieving process. That's what I mean. Gentle, tender guidance. That's what I mean when I mean the word correction. But I said the order's important. Because what we need before those things, before we need comfort and before we need correction, we need company. We need people to just be there. To just listen before they try to give us a lesson. To be there and, and, and to understand our pain understand our sorrow. And here's the remarkable thing in Jesus' 
prayer, right before he's betrayed, this is what Jesus wants. Jesus, in his misery and in his agony, before the day of his crucifixion, he wanted company before comfort and correction. He wanted his disciples just to be with him. Be with me as I bear this burden of deep sorrow. And if the Son of God wants that, we should see that people around us want that. And we need to be honest that that's what we want too. And we should provide that. I I truly think if we apply this principle, I think if we apply this, that people who are in pain will actually seek us out. Because we will be a safe place for them to find comfort and hope. So let me show you this. In Matthew chapter 26, let's look at the prayer of Jesus right before he was betrayed. Again, we're going to learn from the words of Jesus to the Father. Absolutely. We're going to learn from his prayer. And in that, here's what I think we're going to learn. I think we're going to learn that comfort and correction piece. Jesus, in his prayer posture, will show us how we can find comfort and how our wills can be guided while we're going through pain. He's going to show us that. Jesus' words to his disciples are going to show us the importance and the priority of comfort first before comforting words, before correcting words. We need people to be with us, to give us companionship. That's what we need. Let let me show you this. This is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Now, this this is a place that they have frequented before. We know according to John chapter 18, this is a place the disciples have been here for more, uh, been here before. So they're familiar with this place. This probably was a place of prayer for them called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he's creating a real distance between him and the majority of his disciples. But he takes along a couple to go with him to pray. Verse 37, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. So Peter, James, and John. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now, if, if, you, if, if, if English is your second language, you, ha- you have another kind of home language, you probably know this, that there are so many phrases that you have in kind of your home language that just don't translate over into English, right? That you're like, nah, I could say this and I could translate word for word, but when you hear it, it doesn't, it doesn't reflect, right? That's because language is a part of culture. And culture means a lot of different things. And the way culture sees different things uh, is just different between cultures. So even language can, can feel almost, it can almost feel like when we, when we translate something, it feels treasonous. Like, I can't get this meaning over here by just those words. Okay, this is, a, this is a moment in the New Testament where we feel that. Look at Jesus' words when he says, I am sorrowful. I'm sorrowful even to death. I'm troubled. That seems intense in the English, but it is not even close to the intensity in the Greek. Most English translators would say that we totally miss the intensity of what Jesus is communicating with our English phrases. We just don't have enough. Jesus is in intense agony and misery. He is in torment internally. To help us kind of get a more vivid picture of that, one of the gospel writers actually expresses how during this time of prayer, Jesus is sweating blood, which is a medical condition that can actually happen under severe stress. Now, I feel like I've been stressed out in my life. I've never sweat blood. 
I haven't done that before. So whatever Jesus is going through, this is intense agony and turmoil. I mean, he is in a valley moment. He is in misery. Now, side note here, this is important for us to realize that Jesus experienced emotional lows and emotional highs. He was in valleys and on mountaintops. And those places aren't inherently sinful. Can we sin on the mountaintop of emotion? Yes. Can we sin in the valley of emotion? Yes. Do they have unique temptations? Yes. But in and of themselves, they are not sinful. So if you have ever felt shame or guilt because you've been sad or depressed, you need to take, I mean, you need to hear from me. Your Savior felt those things too. And they weren't sinful. It's part of human nature. He took on human nature. We shouldn't think that it's just holy to be kind of even keel. Right? I sure hope not. That's not me. That's boring. Right? I want the lows and the I want them. I want them. And we are emotional creatures. And our Savior took on those emotions and expressed those emotions. And God expresses emotions in vivid color in the scriptures. So to have emotions and to feel emotional is not a sinful thing. And we should never look down on it. We should never be ashamed of it. So Jesus in this agonizing moment, this sorrowful moment, and he brings along three guys, Peter, James, and John. Now, why those three? Like, why did he pick those three? Did the disciples get together and be like, okay, dude, Rochambeau, ready? You're going with Jesus. Now, I think the reason Jesus picks these three guys is because these are the guys who have just said, Jesus will suffer with you. Right? We're noting, noticing this kind of trajectory in your teaching that you, you keep talking about how you're going to suffer and how you're going to die and, and how people are going to oppose you. And we're already seeing that a little bit. Tensions are rising. There's some pressure from the political establishment and from the religious establishment against you. We're sensing some friction. Jesus, we're ride or die. That phrase lost on everybody here? Ride or die. I mean, like, we're going to, I'm going to, never mind. Okay, just never mind. Okay, like, we're going to go all the way. Do you, until the wheels fall off, Jesus, we're going all the way. Is that a little better? Okay, you're, you're tracking with me now. You're, like, looking stuff up. Like, what does that mean, ride or die? Like, oh, we're going to go all the way with Jesus. We're going to suffer with you. We got you. We got your back. So Jesus is like, cool, I'm feeling agony. These three dudes said they would suffer with me. I want you to come with me now. Now, in this deep, intense agony, right, Jesus is feeling so much emotion, it is a little, I don't want to say alarming, but Jesus doesn't look courageous. I know you're like, oh, how'd you say that? You're a pastor. <laughs> Think about it. There are people who have faced their imminent death with much more courage than Jesus is displaying here. Jesus knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be crucified. There, there are several Christian martyrs, people who have died for their faith, who are followers of Jesus, who pledged their allegiance to him and didn't deny it and, and suffered death. Because of that. And they didn't go out. They weren't sweating blood. Is this, is this a moment of weakness for Jesus? No, I don't think that. It's not that Jesus is afraid of death. He's afraid of this kind of death. Because what Jesus is going to experience is something that no one has ever experienced or ever will experience. He's going to experience the wrath of God poured out for the sins of the world. The brutality of his death, the physical brutality, what we could see with our human eyes, paled in comparison 
to the agony of being crushed by God the Father for the sins of the world. No one would ever experience that. No one will ever experience that. And Jesus saw that coming, and that's what puts him in torment. That's what puts him in misery. That's what makes him sweat blood. This isn't a moment of cowardice. He's coming to grips with the crucifixion. He's coming to grips with being crushed by the Father for the sins of the world. So what does he want in this moment? What does he want? What is he, what is he hungry for? What does he have an appetite for? What does he request of his disciples in this moment of great need, in this moment of deep sorrow, in this moment of emotional turmoil? What does he want? Be there with me, guys. Just be there. Look at how he says it. Okay, we're in verse 20, or sorry, 36. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Because of this, I'm feeling this. Here's the commands. Remain with me and watch with me. And it says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. Okay, just stop there. You notice he doesn't even want them to pray with him. He says, okay, you guys are over here, but Peter, James, and John, you said you would suffer with me. I'm in suffering. I want you to be right here near with me. And now I'm going to go over here. I'm going to pray. He didn't even say, come pray with me. What did he say? Just remain with me. Just watch. That's all I want. I want you to be there and watch with me and remain with me. Support me. Be there. I don't need your words. I just need you with me. Here's the, here's the emotional picture that I think this creates in my mind. If you've ever, like, <laughs> tried to put your kids to bed, you know, and, and, and maybe they had, like, a nightmare or something like that, and, and you got to put them back in the bed, right? And doing that whole thing, it's like, for parents, it's like a reverse hostage negotiation, right? I will give you whatever you want to stay in the room, right? Then get out of the room. <laughs> Just stay in there, please, right? And so when, when your child has a nightmare, you give them all the words, you comfort him, you, you get him back there, you kiss, kiss him on the head, you pray with him, all that stuff. Then you leave the room, and right when you're walking out of the room, you're about to shut the door, and they say, Daddy, can you leave the door open just a little bit? Right? Why are they doing that? Why did you do that as a kid? I just want to know that I have access to you. I just want to know that you're there. When you shut the door, I feel shut off from you. I know you and Mommy are in the other room. Will you crack the door open just a little bit so I can kind of feel that we're still connected? This is what Jesus wants. Guys, just be next to me. You said you would suffer with me, and I'm suffering. In my misery, I want your company. I want your companionship. Notice how Jesus didn't say, hey, comfort me. (laughs) Jesus said, correct me. And these guys, they could have done it. Peter, James, and John, they could have done it. They could have corrected Jesus. They could have said, look, if you just look at your Bible, we were in 36. If you jump to even 28. Jesus, we just had a meal with you. Eight verses ago, Jesus, you said this, which I'm sure is how they referred to their time with Jesus. Jesus, eight verses ago, you said this. (laughs) But look, they could quote this back to Jesus. Jesus, we need to correct you. We need to to guide you and to lead you that your sorrow is part of the plan. Jesus, you just told us in verse 28, it says, for this is my blood. Jesus was doing a meal, the last supper, the Lord's supper, communion. This was the first one. He shows them the cup and he says, you see this wine in here? How it's poured in this cup? I'm gonna pour out my blood for you. 
right? Jesus said, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is talking about a blood transfusion or blood donation. This blood being poured out was his death. And it was for what? For the forgiveness of sins. But he didn't want Peter, James, and John to rush in there and be like, Jesus, you just said to us over here, this is what you need to do. Jesus is the inevitable. Jesus is a part of the plan. Jesus, just get on track. That's not what Jesus wanted. It's not what he asked for. And they could have comforted Jesus. Especially these three actually could have comforted Jesus. They were there when they saw Jesus get baptized. When he was baptized and he comes out of the water and the skies open up, right? And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. They could have reminded Jesus, the father loves you, Jesus. He said it at your baptism. These three guys in Matthew chapter 17, the only three disciples came with Jesus up a mountain. And in that mountain, Jesus was transfigured. It's a really cool story. I can't unpack it all right now. But Matthew 17, look it up. In that moment, Jesus is transfigured to kind of see Jesus for who he is. A voice comes again and says, it's his father. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And guess who was there on that mountain? Peter, James, and John. These three guys. And it just happened. Jesus, just a couple chapters ago, Jesus. <laughs> you heard God the Father say that he loves you. Jesus, you're okay. And that's, does Jesus ask for that? No. Are all those things tr- true? Absolutely, but in his agony and in his sorrow and his misery, what does he want first? Just be with me, guys. Just stand right there. I just, just crack the door open, man. I just want to know you're there. That's what I want. Sadly, it's not what Jesus gets. And that disappointment, I honestly think, is one of the main points of this entire passage. Now, we got to get to Jesus' prayer because this will show us how we can have comfort and we can guide or correct people and correct ourselves even when we're suffering. So let's get to that part. Let's get to the prayer that Jesus offers up to the Father. Verse 39. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Okay, let's just stop there. There's the comfort piece. When we pray, we don't pray to distant God creator. He's way out there. It says we pray to him as what? Father. That term is meant to to bring emotions of of intimacy, right? This paternal love and care and guidance and protection. Right? And I know it's a loaded term, right? And I know maybe in your story, you, you, you hear that term and you're like, my dad wasn't there. You may not even know your dad. Um, and maybe if your dad was present, he was really absent. That could be true as well. Or maybe you lost your dad. He was never around. And so, and so hearing these words and, as, and, and God asking you to really, instructing you, teaching you, hey, talk to me this way. There might be some baggage there, and I totally get that. But see what he's trying to do. He is communicating intimacy and care and love. He loves you. So in the midst of that pain and that misery, we call out to him, not some abstract God that doesn't care about us, who got this weird, just aloof plan that's away from us, like this master clock worker, and we're all these little gears just serving his agenda to keep his time for whatever he wants. No, he is intimately involved in our lives. He's the one, like we want the door cracked open knowing that he's in the other room right there. He is intimately involved with who we are. 
and wants to meet us where we are. And in our agony, we pray to him. We say, Dad, can you let this pass? I don't, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this suffering anymore. Will you please just let it pass? Jesus is modeling the prayer that he told his disciples to pray. This is the crazy part. This is not just a prayer posture that Jesus has. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, here's how I want you to pray, guys. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I'm memorizing the King James, and I can't get it out of my head. So, like, I can't. <laughs> There's nothing. But notice that. He doesn't say, hey, hey, he's just my dad. He's just my father. No, he says, hey, you talk like this too. This is how you talk. Don't, don't this abstract God, oh, creator of all things, mystically moving behind the scenes to do who knows what. No. Orchestrator of all events, lover of my soul. That's who I pray to. That's where we find comfort. Daddy, I don't want this to happen anymore. Will you take it away? But how does Jesus end it? Just like he modeled our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will, what? Be done. It's exactly how Jesus prays. Look at how he finishes it off. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the agony and the pain of the cross. That's what he means by the cup. That's an Old Testament image to talk about experiencing the wrath of God, right? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Here's, the, that, here's that correction part. And again, I don't like that word. I just needed another C, okay? But here's that guidance part. Here's that tender leading part. Hey, friend, let's go to the Father together and let's pray that God would let this pass. And if he doesn't let this pass, let us see that there is his plan in this. There's his plan in this. And this is hard. This is hard because there are times that God doesn't let the suffering pass. And I think we have to see, we have to see that God grieves over those moments. Like when you're in pain, when you're in agony, when you're in misery, where you're just emotionally in turmoil, when you are experiencing pain and loss, God is grieved with you. He does not delight in evil. He does not delight in your suffering. We know that. Why? Because when he looked at the world bathed in wickedness, Right? Sin brought about the consequence of suffering. Humanity. He made humanity. He gave us freedom. And then we messed it up. And we spoiled all of this creation. But he didn't just chuck it. He said, I'm going to redeem it. In fact, I'll redeem it to the point where the highest cost paid for the suffering humanity will be felt by my son. That the true consequence and weight of all of this rebellion will fall on him. We have to take that idea of when we are in our present pain, his heart is broken. He was with you when that person hurt you. And he wept. And he grieved. And I truly believe he felt more than even you felt in that moment. I know it's hard to believe, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I need, we need to see the huge heart of God. We're not an aberration because of our emotions. That comes from our author. And his heart is way bigger than yours, way bigger than mine. And his emotions don't make him imbalanced. They make him loving and caring. And so he was with you in your hurting. And when he permits things that do not please him, I think we could say when he permits things that he does, that he hates, 
We have to see he is going to work, though. His plan is there. He has something from this pain to be had. And I wish I could tell you always what God is doing. I can't. But I do believe that God is always doing something. And when we sit in pain with people, and we have company with them, we sit in their sorrow, we hear their hurt, we say, let's pray to the Father who loves us. Let's ask him for this to pass. And if it doesn't pass, let's ask him to give us the power and the vision to see his plan in this. To see that he's doing something in this. To see even though he hates this, this grieves us, this wasn't his plan, this wasn't his design, he's going to use this somehow. And help us to see that plan and step into that plan. Submit to that plan. Now the rest of our narrative, we're going to see this kind of repeated several times. These points are just going to keep getting made over and over and over again, kind of on repeat. Misery loves company before comfort and correction. Jesus prays this prayer, and let let me show you, because I think we're just going to get this on repeat, how much Jesus desires for his disciples just to give him companionship in this time of suffering. So he finishes praying this prayer. He was a little bit away. We're in verse 40. And he came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Thanks, guys. (laughs) And he said, Peter... So could you not watch with me for one hour? One hour, bro. That's all I was asking. Now, I love this because, um, you know, Pastor Shane said this to me one time. He's like, you know, Paul, sometimes we assume the tone of Jesus, right, in the scriptures. Dude, I do that so much. And for some reason, Jesus is always kind of just mean. And like, like, he's just very prophetic. Like, 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 for some reason, Jesus for me is like always in a rap battle. Right, he's always got something to prove. He's got to put somebody on a diss track. Like Jesus has got like this like tattoo of a of a of a teardrop or something like that. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because I'm an ang- I was an angry kid, and so that just kind of comes out. So when Jesus is here rebuking the disciples, I think he goes up to Peter and James and John, like, "Where are you at, bro?" Nobody. You're like, "That's sacrilegious." I'm saying we shouldn't do that. Okay, I'm just saying sometimes you read your story in, right? I think it's one of those moments when I was reading through this this week, I was like, I think Pastor Shane would say to me, Paul, don't assume the tone of Jesus. You're right, I shouldn't. But I do think Jesus is disappointed. He wanted them to be right there. He comes up and he's like, you're sleeping? Like, Peter, dude, one hour? One hour, that's all I asked. I haven't been gone that long. Look at what Jesus says to them. So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 41, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So you think what Jesus is doing here, he's not excusing their behavior, but I think he's explaining their behavior. Look at that last sentence. He says, the spirit is being willing. Guys, I know you want this. Like you told me, Peter, James, and John, you told me you'd suffer with me. So I know you want to be there with me. But it says the flesh is weak. Now, I don't think we should read this. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you've read that term flesh before, maybe in the writings of Paul and his letters to the church, and he refers it to like sinful nature. That's not, I think, how this term is being used here. The way Matthew is using it here, I think he's just talking about our physical bodies, our physical limitations. And so Jesus is saying, I know you guys want this, but you're tired. You're worn out. Now, again, Jesus doesn't excuse their behavior. I don't think he's berating them. Right? He's not in a rap battle. He's not going after them. But I think he's telling them, guys, this is important to me. And you weren't there. So pray. 
Pray. He says, watch and pray that you may not be led into temptation. The temptation he's specifically talking about is that you guys wouldn't fall asleep. You'd be there for me. This is so important for me that you be there with me that I want you to pray for the power to do it. I need you guys. Show up for me. And if you're feeling weak, pray. Pray for the power. Now, you know how the story ends. This is really kind of a sad foreshadowing. Because the temptation now is to stay awake with Jesus, be near him while he's in agony. And the sad thing is, there'll be a greater failure later, specifically for Peter, too. All the disciples will abandon Jesus. Peter specifically will deny Jesus. In a courtyard, while Jesus is on trial, Jesus will deny, or sorry, Peter will deny that he even knows Jesus. It makes me think, man, Peter, if you just would have prayed here for the power of God to give you the stamina to make it, to support your Savior who's suffering, maybe you would have missed that one too. But you fail here, and that foreshadows your deeper failure. I also wonder at this moment as Jesus comes up and he sees these guys, and he says, man, this is so important to me. I wish, I pray you should pray. You could support me. I wonder at this point if Jesus is sweating blood. Now, I don't, I don't know the chronology, how to put it together, but can you imagine the Savior of the world, this teacher that you've been following? He comes up to you and he's looking at you, and clearly he's distressed. And he has blood running down his face. He's saying, Watch and pray with me. I know your body is weak. Your spirit is willing. You want to be here. You need to pray. And sadly, they fail him again. They fail him again and they're not there. They don't give his misery company. And I think we're going to see how Jesus loses his patience with his disciples. But Jesus retreats again and he prays again. Let's see that second prayer. Because there's something very powerful in the words that Jesus says to his father in prayer that do help us. Look, he says, you couldn't pray for me for one hour. I'm verse 41. Watch and pray. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, I know this sounds like very similar to the last one, right? And I think you could make that argument that they're just very similar players, different words. I think there's something here a little different, right? Let me read you the, the first one. Jesus said in the first one, in verse 39, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but but as you will. And this one, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink, your will be done. Shorter words, but it almost sounds like Jesus has come to grips with the inevitability of the cross. And the first one, it was like, if it's possible, like your will, but if it's possible this to go away, then it's like, ah, this is going to happen, huh? I don't want it to happen, but your will be done. That's the kind of feeling. It seems like there's a progression in Jesus' submission to this idea of his crucifixion. Now, we shouldn't see this like, we don't want to read this as rebellion. Like, Jesus is like, "Ah, God the Father, I got a better plan. (laughs) How about we just kind of not do the cross thing? That sounds like a good idea. I don't think Jesus is doing that. I don't think Jesus is rebelling. I think he's going against the plan. I don't think that. And there's several reasons I don't think that. The first reason is, if that was true, if Jesus was trying to avoid this whole thing, Why was he praying in the garden? Why was he praying in that garden? 
Why was he praying in the garden that Judas knew about? That they frequented before? In John 18, it tells us the disciples had been there before. Why would, if he was trying to avoid his betrayal and then his execution, why is he praying in that garden where he knows Judas can find him? Also, just in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 26, the way Jesus has talked about how the events are unfurling in his life when it comes to his betrayal and when it comes to the striking of the shepherd, Jesus referring to himself, he talks about all these things. I'm going to be betrayed. The shepherd will be struck. He says it'll happen as it is written. What is Jesus referring to there? There's been a plan. There's been a prophecy. I know what it is, and I am directing my steps that way. So we shouldn't see this as rebellion. Here's what I think we're seeing here. We're seeing the humanity of Jesus come to grips with the emotional and physical weight of his death. That's what we're seeing. This is that that moment where kind of the two natures of Jesus come out. 100% man, 100% God. In his divine mind, he knows everything. In his human mind, he learns. We see that in Luke chapter 2. Jesus grows in wisdom and knowledge. His divine mind never grew in wisdom and knowledge. He knew everything. In his human mind... He did grow, and I think this is a point where that humanity is coming out. And what he's saying is, not, Father, I don't want to do your will. What he's saying is, is this a part of your will? Okay, if it's a part, okay, I see it coming. I've talked about it coming, and here it is. Are we sure this is a good idea? Okay, this is it. This is right. This is what this is for. He's coming to grips with things. This This isn't, the cross is not new to Jesus. He's just coming to grips in his humanity with what is coming. And he submits again. God, let this pass. Let this suffering pass. But if not, your will be done. Jesus goes back to his disciples, the guys he just told. I want you to watch and pray. This is where I think Jesus is really disappointed here. And okay, I'm going to go further than that. I don't think it's just disappointment. I think Jesus feels betrayed. You said you'd suffer with me and you can't even stand here with me? See, can you hear the tone? I'm doing it again. Like I'm assuming the tone of Jesus. But look at, look at what Jesus says here. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, stop. Did you notice? He didn't even wake them up. He didn't wake them up. He got there and they're just snoozing. Really, guys? <laughs> and he just leaves again. That's sad. Jesus prays. Notice how Matthew doesn't record the prayer. I think that's interesting. Verse 43. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. This is weird to me. I just think it's a weird note that Matthew doesn't record whatever the third prayer is. He says he uses the same words, so he knows there was a prayer, but he doesn't record it. Why is that? Because he records all the dialogue, it seems like, between Jesus and his disciples. The reason I think this is, is because there's something significant Matthew wants to communicate to us in Jesus' words to his disciples. Because in this Garden of Gethsemane kind of account, there's actually more words from Jesus to his disciples than Jesus to his father. Isn't it interesting that Matthew would record more words that way? I think he doesn't want to miss the point that Jesus is disappointed with his disciples' lack of support. And look at how Jesus shows his frustration at this point. This is where I think we can get a little bit of the tone and posture of Jesus. At first, when he was disappointed, he was like, hey, pray. Pray that God gives you the power. He found him sleeping again, 
He goes off and prays. And look what he says to him this time, verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep, take your rest later. Okay, that doesn't make sense. You can't do those two things, Jesus. Right? How can you do that? Sleep, wake up. Like, what do you want me to do, Jesus? Do you want me to sleep or do you want me to take my rest later? Like, what's happening here? I think Jesus is communicating a sense of irony here. We do this in the, in, in the English language. We do this. Maybe you've found this in your life. Maybe your spouse or you have said this, uh, maybe to your kids or to your spouse. You find yourself saying, you know what? Do whatever you want. Hmm, what do you mean by that? Do you mean, you know what? Take off all restraint. Enjoy your creativity. Find possibilities. No, you don't mean that. Husbands, let me save you, okay? I will save us so many pastoral counseling hours in your marriage. If you ever hear the words, fine, do whatever you want. You know what you should do? Not what you want. You're welcome, okay? I've I've clocked like 30 hours of pastoral counseling. So, (laughs) what are we communicating there? Right? This is when words mean more than just the words together. Right? There's something behind there. We're communicating frustration. Fine. Do whatever you want. This is what I think Jesus is doing to his disciples. He's fed up. Like he's disappointed. He feels betrayed. I wanted your company and you couldn't even stay awake? Sleep. No. Wake up. Man, that's sad. Misery loves company before comfort and correction. We got to get to the comfort. We got to get to the correction. That's true. We've got to see that the Son of God wanted what first in his misery? Company, companionship. That's what he's wanted. Have you have ever felt, Paul, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I don't, what do you say when someone loses a child? What do you say when, when someone's marriage is just falling apart? Like, what do you say? I hope you realize that that feeling of incompetence may be a blessing in disguise. Because bef- people want you to hear them before you heal them. They want this before this. Just sit with me in my sorrow. Because it feels so insensitive and just unkind, maybe well-intentioned, but just misses the mark when we just like throw a bumper sticker at people in pain. Whack! God works everything together for the good. Thanks, pal. Appreciate that. Right? Hurtling like our advice from far away. The Lord be with you. I'm like, hmm. No. No. And I think you know that. I think you felt that. You just want somebody to listen to you, to hear you. And you know what it's like. I know what it's like to be overlooked in your pain. Just kind of be passed over, glossed over. In your agony. And you know how much that hurts. Let's not be a people who, who hurt people like that. And I honestly believe, I honestly believe if we put this principle into practice as followers of Jesus Christ, people will seek you out who are suffering. 
If they know that you're going to give them company in their misery, they will seek you out. Hey, friend, this here's what's happened. Hey, tell me about him. Tell me about your dad. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear about him. Tell me what you're going to miss about him. Tell me the thoughts you're having right now. I'd love to hear how you're feeling right now. Where's your heart at right now? How can I serve you right now? Sit with them and then provide the comfort. And we can pray. And I'm going to pray to, to my father. My father who loves you. And loves me. And I don't know what God's doing right now. But I do know that God's up to something. Because he is always working. Even if we can't see it. And we can't explain it. If we took that kind of posture, people would flock to you who are in pain, would seek you out in pain. Now, maybe you're here and you're just curious about Sunrise Church or you're curious about Jesus. Like, you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian. I want to make a commitment to you. And I know this is a large commitment, but I mean this. I mean this. And I think this church can back this up. I want to make a commitment to you wherever you are We want to be there with you. If you're in pain, we want to be there with you. If you're in agony, we want to be there with you. If you're in misery, we want to be there with you. If you're hurting because the actions of somebody else, we want to be there with you. If you're hurting because the actions of your own life, we want to be there with you. Wherever you are, wherever your mess is, we don't want to be distanced from you. We will sit in the mess with you and just listen, hear, validate your feelings, ask you how you're doing. That's who we want to be. We want to make that commitment to you. We want to make that commitment to you. And I have to tell you, the reason I want to make that commitment to you, and I think Sunrise Church could back up that claim, is because that's exactly what I found when I came to church. Man, I came to church, and I didn't like their music. And I thought the guy who talked was boring. You're like, yeah, me too. Thank you. Uh, But man, like, even though it wasn't great music, and the jokes weren't funny, and they had these things called pews, oh man, that, like, worked the sin out of you. Like, it was so uncomfortable. Right? Even though all of that didn't make sense. You know what I found? I found people who didn't look past me. I found people who, who heard my hurt. Who were right there next to me in my agony. Who didn't try to solve all my problems. Who didn't look past me. Didn't throw cliche phrase at me. But just sat with me. Gave me company before I was ever a Christian. I want to make that commitment to you, wherever you're at. Whatever pain you've experienced, misery you find yourself in, past you find yourself in, even if, I hate to say this, even if holy hands hurt you. Even if a church or a leader, right, somebody in a position like me, even if they hurt you, and I'm sorry, I want to be with you in that. Jesus wants to be with you in that. And I think what you'll find here is a safe place. The jokes aren't always going to be funny. You're not always going to like the songs. But you will find sympathy and empathy and good listeners at this place. We want to be with you wherever you are. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. And Jesus, I... I pray that you would not find us asleep. 
when our friends and our family members are suffering and they want company. In their misery, they want company. Before the comfort, before the correction, they just want our company. That's what they want. I pray you not find us asleep in that assignment. I pray that you find us faithful in that moment to say, I'll suffer with you. I'll sit in the mess with you. Father, I want to be that. I want us to be that. And I believe, I believe you can give us the power to do that, just as the disciples prayed, or didn't pray, actually. Give us power to be there with people in their pain. And I pray you'd bring those who are in pain to this place. And they would find us as a church that honors that commitment. We will be with you. We will be with you. To Christ's name I pray. Amen.